I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Oh, you don't you don't all take showers with your girlfriends? Like, it was just so... That's not something that you do. You don't have, like, sleepovers and just kind of, like, find your way into an orgy in someone's basement? Like, that did it? That wasn't your opinion? That's weird, because that was mine. I'm ducking out, you're ducking out. Let's duck out together. See what it's all about. Ducking out, ducking out, ducking out, ducking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that is thankful for all of our U-Haulers who tune in each week and are the reason we keep putting this queer content into the world. And also thankful for Clea Duvall. I'm Carolyn Bergier. And I'm Melody Kamali. And today we are Diking Out with party guru and queer organizer Kristen Kaza about community. But first, our announcements for this week. A quick follow-up on last week's Intersex episode. We just want to make sure to note that just because our guest, Maria Tritas, was comfortable talking about their body, that is not the case for a lot of intersex, envy, and trans folks. So don't assume that people want to talk to you about their bodies. Any folks, really. Yeah, any folks. As much as I try to bully Melody into talking about her squirting, not everybody wants to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Also, you all know by now that we've been partnering with the Lesbian Bar Project to save the 15 remaining lesbian bars in this country. Well, our resident diking out artist, Ceci Bergier, who uh, I also share a bed with Mm. and share a whole life with, uh, (laughs) teamed up with designer Kid Super to create a shirt to help raise money for the project. So you can check that out on the Lesbian Bar Project website. We'll link to that in our episode notes. And speaking of merch, we have added some holiday dyke the halls merch to our etsy shop so head on over to etsy and get those orders in before the holly gaze 
You know what you could also do for the holidays? Get some custom content on Jemmy. If you want custom interactions with us, either individually or together, you can head on over to jemmy.app slash dyking app. And it could make a really great gift for that dyke in your life or for yourself, really. Self-love. You might be the only dyke in your life, and that's okay, too. (laughs) But this episode, we're going to help you find other dykes and dyke-minded people. Yes, yes. Well, this week has been just another banner gay week. Just I feel like a lot going on in the gay world. It was Trans Awareness Week. And one big thing that happened locally is that New York City's first LGBTQIA plus uh, owned and run housing complex opened in Queens. What, what? Borough Pride, even though I'm moving out. Yeah, it opened up right close to your place. Yeah, in Woodhaven. uh, And this happened 30 years after the owner first conceived of this idea. So 30 years in the making. I think this is how you pronounce her name. Cyan Dorshaw, a trans woman who is the founder and executive of gay and lesbians living in a transgender society known as Glitz, uh, bought this complex, which has 11 apartments spanning three floors. And there's going to be like an educational and community center in the bottom. And I know that they've done work to help like refugees from other countries who are persecuted for being trans and providing Mm -hmm. housing. And it's a great cause. So it was really cool to see that story. Just very uplifting stuff to read about. Some good news. Yeah. Trans Awareness Week can be filled sometimes with like a lot of very sad stuff. So I always like to celebrate the wins. Yes. (laughs) I did see her speak at the Black Trans Lives Matter March. That was huge. Everyone probably saw the pictures worldwide. That big all white sea of people outside of the Brooklyn Museum. All white clothing. All white white, people. Everyone wore white clothing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was very inspiring to see her speak and she was actually very funny too. So I'm really happy to see that they achieved that goal they've been working for for so long. Yes. Some other news that I saw, you know, spent some time on Twitter, checking in on our democracy, making sure that, uh, you know, we're we're still a country uh, every day, just checking in. And yeah. I saw Susan was trending And uh, just imagine my excitement being on Twitter, seeing all the trending topics. And in there is Susan. And I was like, is it a gay Susan? And it was a gay Susan was trending, but then for very sad reasons. (laughs) And then very unfortunate reasons. My excitement just went down that Rachel Maddow's longtime partner, Susan, got COVID and was very, very sick with it. And Rachel addressed it. And it's something that, you know, she doesn't talk about her personal life and had this like very public and moving and emotional. Yeah. Talk about what was happening, but really just beautiful about how much Susan means to her and to have uh, a mainstream audience hear that message and know like how much our lives are just like everybody else. And we love our partners so much and love is love is love. Same love. Yeah. What else? You know, I saw a very popular lesbian name trending online too. And that's Cara Delevingne. Yes. Cara. (laughs) 
It's Kara. Yeah, so she's the co-owner of a sex technology brand now. Surprised that it was a technology brand and not a sex bench brand. Uh, the sex bench <laughs> industry really missed an opportunity here to snatch up Cara Delevingne in capitalizing on, on that famous image of her and ex Ashley Benson. Uh, but I guess the cool thing about this company is that it's very uh, gender inclusive. So it's making mm-hmm. sex tech for all the genders and I'm just excited about this because I think it's our opening to get her on the podcast finally we are open our DMs are open Kara slash your agents I've been saying Kara all this time but it's Kara because it's it's Kara yeah um our DMs are open our BMs are open call back to <laughs> are you Halloween show <laughs> Where we asked Becca Blackwell if their DMs were open and they said no, but my BMs are open. And that, as the kids say, lives in my brain rent free. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) Well, you said you noticed that Susan was trending and got excited. I saw the words ethereal bisexual trending this week and that definitely piqued my interest i <laughs> you must have a different algorithm yeah you get, you get to like twitter twitter knows i'm obsessed with susan's <laughs> and and you get bisexual twitter <laughs> so ethereal bisexual what what was the scoop were they talking about halsey or something even better barack obama okay. <laughs> wrote about his strategies for picking up girls during his first two years of college um, Whoa. yeah, performative interest, he called it in the writings of political philosophers. He was trying to pick up women and impress them with, you know, the theories of Karl Marx, yada, yada. But he had a friend he references in his memoir who told him to, I think I didn't read it yet, but, um, who told him to read Virginia Woolf and his attempts to pick up this ethereal bisexual who wore mostly black. And that's all we know. And now the internet is trying to figure out who is this ethereal bisexual Barack Obama had a crush on. She needs to come forward. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants to know. It's just turned into this What's big funny guess. And ethereal bisexual is just those words are just painted all over the internet right now. And it's making me. It's an energy. It is. And speaking of bisexual energy. This is actually going to be the gayest thing of the week for me, but I'd like to pull you in. I took a BuzzFeed quiz because I was feeling a little nostalgic for simpler times. And um, (laughs) it was called, how much bisexual energy do you radiate? And I laughed my ass off. It's so funny. The first question is literally pick a chair to sit weirdly in. (laughs) And it's a bunch of different armchairs. And I do always have my knee up here. You see, I'm always sitting weird. I fall asleep yeah. weird with my legs up. It's I didn't realize it was a bisexual thing. But anyways, I took the quiz <laughs> and you know it. I got 100% bisexual babe, right? And nice. I took it thrice. I wanted to see if I really was a 100% and like, you know, re-answered some questions I was on the fence. Because some of those yeah. answers, you're really, yeah, because there's always like my first instinct answer, but then if I think about it, it's a right. different answer. So I had that with several of the questions, and no matter which combination of answers I gave, I got 100% bisexual babe. And who was your celebrity crush? 
Because you made me take it too. I tried it with Natasha Leone. I tried it with Rihanna. I tried it with Timothy Chalamet, bisexual babe. Yeah, I did Natasha Leone. Yeah. So I radiate 100% by energy. It says you are by to the bone. You cuffed jean wearing iced coffee drinking colored hair having babe. But don't forget that this is just a fun quiz and you're amazing no matter how you identify. Because I do identify as a dyke Kinsey five, but I guess <laughs> according to BuzzFeed, 100% bisexual. But your hair isn't dyed. It used to be. Oh. <laughs> the reason it's not dyed right now is because it was so dyed in my 20s that uh, it's uh, nearly what was gone. It dyed? Oh, purple. For a few years, especially my late 20s, had a real balayage going on. The most bisexual color was uh, a year it was purple. Yeah, I was going to say, I think if I met you and you had purple hair, I would have known immediately you were bisexual. (laughs) It was um, right after my one relationship with a guy. Um, That was my breakup (laughs) decision. Nice. I got, yeah, purple balayage. And then it faded and turned into like this, the bleach came out. And I really like that look. So it just turned into like a balayage into an auburn for like the last uh, few years of my 20s. But yeah, I picked black, I, no dye. Like I just picked the one non-dyed hair color in yeah. that quiz. And I still got this answer. I, of course, needed to know what Carolyn's bisexual energy was. So I made her take the quiz just before we recorded and happy to report not 100% bisexual. Otherwise, no, not even close. Otherwise, we'd have to cancel the podcast. Uh, Carolyn got <laughs> half by 50%. Which that is very generous. I don't think I have much bisexual energy. <laughs> yeah, I saw a lot of like bona fide lesbians in the comments being like, this is bullshit. <laughs> like not even <laughs> they got zero. But it's like, yeah, because you're a full lesbian. Oh, there was an option to get zero? That's yeah. what I thought that I would have gotten. Mm-hmm. But no, you got half by in the screenshots. You know how people assume bisexuals are half gay, half straight. Well, you're half of that. But don't forget, this is a fun quiz and you're amazing no matter how you identify. <laughs> well, just thought uh, you guys should know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you need to check in with your sexuality via BuzzFeed. Yeah. Next time we get a listener question of somebody who's uh, feeling a little bit unsure about where they are on the spectrum, uh, we'll have some BuzzFeed quizzes ready. Just redirect you there. That was the most bisexual thing I did this week. Not the gayest thing I did. Okay. Well, then what's the gayest thing you did? The gayest thing I did was, you know, I feel like I had my nose in my girlfriend's butt crack for the last 24 hours. My girlfriend, Allison Clayton, got a Brazilian wax. And I talked with you off mic about this, Carolyn, but it is like she has a whole new personality. She's <laughs> she's never gotten a wax down there until a couple weeks ago. She got her first ever one. And it's like, did you watch Pen15 where... Yeah. Maya puts on a thong for the first time and her yes. whole <laughs> inside and outside changes. Yes. <laughs> That's what it's like. She's like dancing around the apartment. She's like suddenly can twerk. Like, <laughs> she's like really, really feeling herself. Okay. And we were going to have sex last night, but 
we were interrupted by her niece FaceTiming us. And this is where it actually gets gay because she FaceTimed us to ask if we had ever heard about the Beaver Festival in Durham, North Carolina. Did you think it was a prank call? <laughs> I know. It's like, is she bullying us? Uh, <laughs> she's 11 years old. Um, so we had just like settled in last night, had a little wine, hit the vape pen. So like we were giggling at just the Beaver Festival alone. And then she went in to talk about it and was like, no, seriously, it's it's supposed to be really big. You guys have really never heard of a beaver festival. Would you want to go to a beaver festival? What do you think? Like just like, the words beaver festival 50 times. Um, and then I tried to find what she was talking about. And I, I there's no trace of it. She's like, seriously, go to save the beavers.com. And I was like, I would love to. <laughs> um, but I can't find anything online. So if there are any North Carolina listeners who know about this beaver festival, apparently couples go to this park and they, the men dress like women and the women dress like men. And somehow this benefits beavers. Of course. I, you don't see the logic to that. <laughs> and then I did find that there's a beaver annual beaver festival in North Carolina, but it already happened. And it happened virtually this year in like late May or June. I have no idea what she's talking about, but she won't get over this beaver festival. <laughs> North Carolina, you hollers right in and fill us in on uh, what's happening with this beaver fest. Yeah. That's right. the gayest thing of the week to hear beaver festival. When you're a little buzzed from an 11 year old, 50 times in a row. I highly recommend it. <laughs> and to have that be what interrupted your sex. <laughs> yeah. She's like, okay, so I don't want you to confuse this with the turtle festival. This is the beaver festival. And for this one, the men dress as women and um, you just, you dance for the beavers. And I was like, that's the only way I dance, baby. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point in dancing? <laughs> if you're not dancing for beavers. <laughs> right. Love it. Yeah. So let us know. I have no idea what it is, but that definitely takes the cake. Carolyn, what is the gayest thing you did this week? I had such a gay week for so many reasons, but part of it is that I was prepping for an interview with next week's guest on Diking Out. I'm not going to say who it is, but maybe you'll pick up some clues when I list off the movies that I watched. Just a, a queer movie-thon. Well, I rewatched, But I'm a Cheerleader. And then for the first time, I watched Addicted to Fresno, Breaking the Girls, and The Intervention. And yeah, I just couldn't believe that I hadn't seen those last three movies before. And for somebody who thinks that they're really on top of uh, queer media and what's happening in queer culture, those things just completely were not on my radar. Brave of you to admit. Yeah, sometimes I have to confess when I fall short of <laughs> the expectations that uh, the world puts on me as a co-host of Diking Out and... <laughs> Uh, it, it's important to, you know, support that queer media. So, you know, this week is uh, Happiest Season Release Week. Dyke the Halls. Are you going to watch it the day it comes out? Of course. Yeah. I mean, what else am I going to do? <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to watch it and then go straight to our Patreon Facebook group. Yes. And dike out about it there. But yeah, so that felt very gay that I was watching all of that. And then uh, the gayest thing, though, for sure, was 
Cecilia and I went to sleep and we were feeling so restless. I was feeling kind of under the weather and I just couldn't sleep and I was getting frustrated because, you know, when you're sick and you're like, all I need is sleep to feel better uh, and then you can't sleep and then it's like even more frustrating. Like that's what I was having. So then Cecilia suggested, well, what if I play like a a nice song, like a lullaby? And I said, okay. And she said, what do you want me to play? And then immediately, like without even thinking, I said, uh, Sarah McLaughlin, The Rainbow Connection. So Sarah McLaughlin does this cover of The Rainbow Connection, and it's very beautiful. And we played that uh, on loop until we fell asleep. Uh, You know, just two lesbians spooning to Sarah McLaughlin singing a song called The Rainbow Connection. Does it get any gayer? Yo, that song has been playing over here in this house a lot too really i think it's because there's a commercial right now that's using it oh it's just been stuck in both mine and ali's heads um so i it's we've been playing it we've been singing it it's yeah some major commercial recently started using it oh wow okay I used to listen to that song a lot in college. It was just like a nice, like when I was really stressed out, it would kind of calm me down a little bit and uh, hadn't listened to it for a while. And then when I was making a road trip playlist, when we drove to uh, Buffalo the other week, I found it on like an old Spotify playlist and then threw it back on there. And yeah, it's just so nice. It's very good. It's It's very very good. So gay, though. Oh, yeah. All right. We really should get to our interview because we had a lot to talk about with our guests this week. So today we are diking out with event producer and community organizer Kristen Kaza about community. Kristen is the co-founder of the legendary queer dance party series Slow Mo, Slow Jams for Queer Fam, and Reunion, a co-working and event space for women and the LGBTQIA community and people of color. Let's get into it. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to dike out with you. I'm so happy to dike out with you. Kristen, before we dive into anything, may I please ask you, what is the gayest thing you did this week? Well, geez, the gayest thing I've done this week. Well, right now, I feel like this is a very lesbian thing to do. My um, fiance, because I just got engaged. My uh, fiance, (laughs) thank you. Alexis and I are went embarked on a cleanse together. We did a detox. Yeah, and I feel like that's a very dikey thing to do. Like you're like, let's do everything together. I mean, we're we're very independent. She's a very independent person, and we have very good boundaries and (laughs) autonomy. But we, you know, projects. We like to do things together. And so I feel like that's a very mid thirties lesbian thing to do. So it's like you know we have the same routine with like uh, with the whole you know food plan and then like yoga in the morning. And so that's that's my current COVID pandemic sheltered in with my girlfriend thing is um, healthy living. Count it. I feel like it is such a lesbian thing, too, because whenever my sister is trying to make a change in her life, my wife and I are like, you and Mark, you have to do it together. You have to. You can't just do it by yourself. And she's like, do you not understand? Like, there's no way that he's like, 
Like, he is not interested in weight loss. He's not interested in this. I mean, like, I know some hetero couples, some uh, can do things together, but I feel like it's a lot easier with lesbians that they're both like, well, of course we're doing it together. Of course, like, yeah. How, how else will we do it? And just the supportive, <laughs> I think the supportive nature, like, okay, this is something that you want to do for yourself. Like, I'm on board and I'm going to support you too, which I think is really also very endearing. Yes. Being a unit. Yeah. For positive choices. <laughs> Where are you right now? Are you in Chicago? Yeah. So right now I am in Chicago. I am in my house. I am not um, at my studio reunion. I'm in my living room. And this is where I've sort of set up shop for work things when I'm not at a uh, reunion, my um, studio that is not open to the public right now, but still we, we, we work from there and have some um, private projects there. Um, and then my, my partner is in, has an office now that she works from home. So we try and, you know, have a little bit of space during the day and some semblance of a normal work day. Yes, reunion, which is why I wanted to talk to you. Um, when I lived in Chicago, I lived literally right around the corner from reunion, and I was very aware of you and the slow-mo parties that you threw. I'd yeah. gone to a few at the Whistler. I was a big fan. And then Reunion opened up right in my neighborhood. And suddenly there were very cool lesbians hanging out on the block. <laughs> like, uh, felt like overnight there were like drag queens on the corner. <laughs> <Yes>. And <laughs> I was so thrilled, so confused, so excited. I eventually <laughs> figured out what Reunion was and went to a few events there. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about your background with slow-mo and Reunion? So my background in general is, you know, party producer, been throwing parties and creating, um, you know, working to cultivate community connection and especially with queer community for the last, I guess, I don't know, 14, 15 years in Chicago. And my recent primary projects have been Slomo, um, which is a, now and it's is nine, it's going to celebrate 10 years next year. Um, which, like you said, at the Whistler every third Thursdays, but also we've done queer comedy at Reunion and um, lots of different parties and concerts and classes and yoga and all different types of ways to, to connect community. And then Reunion is a sliding scale um, project incubator that my co-director, Elijah McKinnon, and I opened in 2016, so we're coming up on our five-year anniversary, to hold space for... Uh, LGBTQ um, and POC creatives to make work in a supportive environment um, and help, help them feel uh, like they can be themselves and make work freely, um, not under the constraints that often come with a lot of traditional spaces that have a more, you know, have... Mm -hmm heterodynamic or heteronormalcy, if you will. Um, and so we opened that in 2016 and, you know, it's a sort of quasi co-working space, but also a place for events and projects. We have a floral studio, Bottle and Branch, which operates out of our garage. And it really has like developed in the last few years as being a space for community to really develop their work, like a true project incubator. We've had a lot of projects that started there and then bloomed and grew like Black Girl and Ohm, which is now, um, national, if not international, Lauren, Lauren Ash's project, that she was doing her um, self-care Sunday yoga sessions there. And now has, you know, she's grown her business significantly. And we've had lots of different markets there. And there's been DJ classes and film festivals. And um, a lot of people have just been able to really feel brave 
and supported in in developing their work, mm-hmm. which I think is such space is such a crucial barrier to allowing people, and especially people who may um, experience or have a marginalized identity, to, from being able to really have that next step that's going to allow them to really cultivate their work and cultivate an audience. So Reunion has been a really great space for people to be able to make work freely and share it. In the pandemic, of course, that has shifted. Um, But we're very fortunate that while we don't have programming for the public, obviously that would be, even even when there was, um, it was allowed this summer in Chicago for gatherings of 50 or less inside spaces, we have not opened it up to protect our members. But OTV is a resident, and my co-director Elijah is the executive director of OTV, which is a virtual uh, web series and film project all black queer and trans led organization and oh is that open tv is that different than open tv okay we had fatima on the podcast yeah formerly open tv it's same thing Mm -hmm. oh yeah yes yeah fatima asiar who produced brown girls of course and um brown girls went on to you know they solicited hbo and so otv has really grown so much also um five years now and so they do a lot of like they're filming there and we've recorded a lot of projects there so the space is still being activated um and we're very fortunate that we're able to still make rent as for now but you know it's going to be some time before we can let the people back in yeah i mean what has that been like like the impact for the community who used to come to reunion as a safe space to to create and gather and express themselves you know we've tried to offer some other ways we pivoted pretty quickly to continue to engage with the community that I and the ways that we could that um, I think have been really great in continuing the conversations that we were having before about um, you know creative expression and in community cultivation and taking care of each other in community. Um, and so we had a series cause we started moving more into this year of wanting to do more continued education. Cause of course, education is also just such a, uh, you know, a barrier for so many people, especially financially to be able to acquire new, new skills. And so we started a series called let's do lunch. And it was a series of, again, trying to develop different skills and different categories to add to your, you know, sort of professional or creative artistic toolbox. And we, we pivoted that online. <laughs> we had, you know, we did things a little bit different though. So we did like, well, what do people really want to know? And we're like, did haircuts at home with some queer barbers and hairdressers and plant cultivation at home and how to propagate plants and um, some digital uh, streaming education to learn different ways that you can start to pivot and move your, your classes or conversations or meetings or events online. So we did the Let's Do Lunch series. We also had a um, project that we're super proud of um, But Pride was coming, Reunion does so much programming for Pride. We have a series called Pride and Power and we do programming all month. It's really intended to also offer space for people who, um, you know, outside of nightlife and bars to be able to come together, whether that's because of your age, whether that's because of not wanting to be in bars, et cetera. Um, And so we were like, well, we don't love doing the virtual programming, but it feels really important to do something for Pride, for the culture. So we called our festival for the culture and OTV and Reunion, our studio and Slow Mo came together to create a three-day virtual festival called For the Culture. It was three days when it would have typically been Pride Weekend in Chicago and had over 50 um, 
Chicago artists that were a part of it. And when we were planning this event, the uprising happened and we felt it was really important that we center black, queer and trans voices. And so all the artists involved in that project, um, forward facing, um, audience facing were, um, black, queer and trans folks had, I think about 50 people. And it was amazing. We had performances, we DJ sets each night, we had performances, we had skits, we had intergenerational trans conversations. Um, it was um, with with some other collectives that also participated, like Futurehood yes. and Molasses and Lucy Stool, Drag Queen Lucy Stool's Fabitat, and um, a Queer Pride, and it was really amazing. And so that streamed on OTV's uh, platform, and I think we had like over ten thousand awesome. participants oh over gosh. the weekend that tuned in for that, and it was really yeah, it was really amazing. So, you know. We've been able to both the slow mo and reunion, especially in the first half of the, you know, this, we're in this eight month stretch of those first four months, really did a lot of virtual engagement. I think then we were not, most of us were not thinking this was going to go on as long as it was. So it's very difficult to sustain that virtual content. And then of course, when summer came and the restrictions were loosened up and people could be outside, like no one's interested in that. So I haven't personally done as much investment except for some of the programs we do with Reunion. We started a queer book club. We'll we'll slow down for a little while in in the winter time and see where we pick back up with it. And with Slomo, we did the Slomo from Homo, which was <laughs> our that, virtual yeah. party. And it was going to be Slomo the week after, like when shit totally hit the fan. And I, being an event producer, I had some like thousand person events that I was producing. I heard before like the domino effect happened that it, like things were starting to be canceled. And so I sort of had this feeling that it was just going to continue to get worse. And so we made the call a week before when Slomo would have been on a third Thursday, like, what if we do this online? And um, it just sort of took off and we had, it got picked up by a lot by the media and we had like, I think cumulatively like 5,000 people that tuned in from it, from the different platforms. And it was <laughs> live stream from like my living room and Audio Jack's living room and Hannah was, um, Vita Girl was DJing from my living room. And, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We all thought we were like going to be on this like stay at home vacation for a few days. And then obviously that, that didn't <laughs> work out so well. But we did that series for a few months when it was, you know, still colder temperatures and still felt like people were isolated at home when we were in that pretty strict stay at home order and, and have slowed down with that in the, in the meantime. But that was, um, that was, that felt important important to be able to just give people an opportunity to see each other, have a reason to get dressed up, to listen to music and have some levity. I want to know a little bit more about you and what was your kind of like first experience with finding community? (laughs) Community has always been like the center of my, my world. That's even when I was younger, it was always about trying to bring people together through, um, I was a theater kid, you know, um, just trying to make magical things and, 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 you know, these worlds that we can live in for a period of time that feel safer and more celebratory is, has always been really important to me. And then finding community, it it was interesting. Like I, I'm from Vermont. I grew up in Vermont and it's, you know, considered, you know, a liberal state. It's, I wouldn't say that's like, you know, 100%, but certainly some of the way that I grew up, at least in like, came to the Midwest to um, Columbia, which is like 
an art school. So I Me too. Oh, okay. So when I I went and I was like, okay, well, you know, you know, I was all excited. Like I'm I like boys, I like girls, and I'm bisexual and I did this and I, I was so like very comfortable with that. And I was like so shocking to um the two to people that I met. I like terrified my dorm room. It was like, oh you don't you don't all take showers with your girlfriends? Like it was just so <laughs> that's not something that you do. You don't have like sleepovers and just kind of like find your way into an orgy in someone's basement like that did it that wasn't your upbringing that's weird because that was mine um and you know in that upbringing like I don't think any of those girls still you know are in relationships with women but um you know that was just a sort of like normalized in my personal experience oh college that, that was my high school experience, though. And then, oh, high school. Yeah. I was going to say, that's where we're different. I did not come to Columbia with that. <laughs> cultivated it there. Activated, right. And so when I got there, maybe I just hadn't found my people yet, but it did sort of push me back into the proverbial closet a bit and had a little bit of a sort of crisis around that. I had to come, come out all over again. There's nothing like um, living in Wrigleyville with four straight girls, lovely girls, but four straight girls to be like, <laughs> this is not it for me. Yeah. Um, Everyone lives there first. I know. Isn't that weird? It's like Lakeview yeah. or, or Wrigley. And so time, there was a Time Out Chicago had a weekly magazine when they first launched and they had a gay and lesbian section in it. And um, they had like it coded like a, like a purple one for girls or like blue for boys, whatever, something like that. And there was this, this club, it was, you know, a circuit club, it was circuit nightclub. I don't know if it's still open, but, um, and they were having like a, uh, like foam parties and these different like theme parties. And like, <laughs> I would walk over like the 19 year old using my fake ID at those clubs. It took me a minute, like to find queer, to find queer community. Um, and you know, it's just like you, the ways that you follow into it, you, you meet someone and then you meet like their friends and it shifts and changes so much. Like thinking about that time when I was really coming out and trying to find queer community when I was 19, 20. I mean, I'm 35 now, so it feels like so many lifetimes ago. Um, and it was different because, well, we were using MySpace much more regularly then. So that was it. It was like, okay, what's the song that you're away song or whatever? Remember that? You had like a... Oh, yeah. We just oh yeah about this. Yeah. Our emo MySpace songs yeah. recently. Yeah. yeah. And like, who was your top nine or whatever? And like, you shuffle them around. And I mean, if I yeah. could get into my MySpace account. So my first party that I ever threw. So the people who like really know me and been writing with me a long time will know that I threw a party called Role Play for gender benders and dresser uppers. Who knows why that was the name, but that was what it was. I was 21 when I started that party and now, you know, then started Slow Mo Slow Jams for Queer Fam, you know, years later. But it was in this tiny, like, bar space in the back of a bar at the Holiday Club. I don't know if you ever went to Holiday Club. Oh my God, I just got goosebumps. Yeah. Like on the north side that closed down eventually. I think there was like a storytelling show. Yeah, there. I think so. I think so. And they had this Story back club. like little space. They had a photo booth and yes, yes, it yes. was a uh, themed. It was role play. So we had like these random themes. Like I have, my favorite one was hats. And like the whole thing is you just had to come in a hat. And so you saw like, I mean, I was 21 and it was $5 <laughs> and it all went right. to a film that I was producing called Fish Out of Water, which was a documentary about the Bible and homosexuality. And um, that was like our micro fundraiser. And it just had these different themes. And my friend, who's still a very good friend of mine, um, Gertie, we 
they were the sign maker at Whole Foods and I was the marketing person. And we had this clo- like literal closet of an office and they would make the hand make our flyers for role play. And then we'd like at Whole Foods in this like closet office, upload them and <laughs> put them on MySpace. And I mean, that's how the party was promoted. And maybe I, I think I like, when I was really like gear like into it in the beginning, I maybe printed out flyers like, and flyered a bit, but yeah, we, the whole the whole party role play that it was like maybe two years exists in like this vacuum that is MySpace is in the black hole of MySpace. I mean, I I think we're around the same age, and um, when I was in college, the like lesbians formed this group called Pink Taco Productions, and that was also housed on MySpace. Like they had a MySpace page that I just stalked, uh, and. It was so crazy to have that because when you first get to college, I mean, I went to college knowing that I was gay, immediately being put on this floor with mostly straight women and not knowing how people would react to that. And then you just kind of go out with who you live with. So it was just like a lot of straight stuff, a lot of straight stuff. And I was like desperately searching for some kind of community. And when um, like through Facebook, Facebook and MySpace, uh, the queers started like finding each yeah. other and were able to create a community through that. But like short of having that, uh, that social media, mm-hmm. like I don't, it would have probably taken me like a lot longer to start meeting people. It's true. I, I, I don't know about like when you went Melody to Columbia, but we had, I think at the time it was called Q force and it was the LGBT um, like school, you know, student group. And I'm, oh, okay. yeah, those were the first yeah. friends that I made when I was like a sophomore in college. And that was good. And like, I remember we would all watch that. That's when the L word first came out. So we'd watch the L word together. Yes. Um, that was huge. Yeah. You know, you, it's, you, you find your way, you have different friends for the while and that ebbs and flows. And, um, yeah, it feels like that feels like a lifetime ago to think about. But finding when I really felt like to find a space that felt really like me and the vibe that I wanted, I'll be honest, that was the reason why I started Slomo because I, I mean, even though I've been a party producer for a really long time, I'm not like a like let's like rip lines all night and hang from the chandeliers like you know, when I would throw like parties at my parents' house growing up, it'd be like, don't move the, the furniture and like, don't, you know, it was, I've always wanted to like right. cultivate like a, you know, an environment. I rarely stay out super late. If like I have an event, I'm not usually going out afterwards. It's more, again, about like the, the community and definitely the music. And so with a lot of parties, well, first of all, of course, Boys Town, like that's just not a space um, for, for queer, for queer women at all. It's not a safe space. Right. Um, that's a whole... We've talked about this on the podcast. So that's why we don't care if yeah. they need to change the name to be more inclusive. It's always been yeah. a boy's yeah. town. Yeah. And so, you know, that was <laughs> never... I mean, there was... And I, and I, I don't want to disclude the fact that there were people and specifically there were lesbians who were really um, working to offer spaces there. I never did that work, but, you know, lesbian friends that Lauren um, Black produced and then Janae Williams had, like, yeah. her projects with the Dirty Girls. So, there, you know, there were things there for sure, and those parties were, were, were really important at the time as well. And um, for me, with Slomo, it's like, I just wanted to hear more, like, mid-tempo music I actually, like, liked and could, like, feel comfortable dancing to that wasn't super 
uh, high BPM and awkwardly screaming at people. I wanted something that felt sexier. And um, I don't know, just really spoke more to like what for me felt like a sexy, intimate environment I wanted to be at. And so I started that party and the... um, founding DJ with that project, DJ Tess, I I had seen her play and she just had like the most incredible energy and asked her if like she, you know, would play this party. We barely knew each other. And in the first seven months, it was all vinyl. We never, she never played. We'd have guests and the guests came, they, they, they play vinyl. Actually in the beginning it was hers, just her playing vinyl and then integrated, um, digital music playing after that. But um, you know, I just, I'm so always been a throwback. My, my, my style is very like 60s, 70s. Like I. You really uh, tapped into something though. Yeah. Like we're all so desperate for that vibe you cultivated. Like it was so cool and different from just your regular gay party Thank that you. you would find like with that high tempo pop music. Right. As somebody who has never been to a slow-mo party, just because I didn't live in Chicago, this sounds a lot like the parties at the planet on the L word. <laughs> okay, that's what it felt like. I Am mean, I off? It felt so cool as a voyeur. It took me months to work up the courage to go to slow-mo, by the way. <laughs> like 2013. Uh, stalked it for a while, but it did feel like too good to be true. Too cool, like, but not like intimidating yeah. in that way. Like, it felt like a like welcoming space, and like I wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel weird if I go. I don't know. It just felt like unreal, too good to be true. With the the plan on the L where it's like, where where is this space Actually where happening, you have right? somebody <laughs> like like a Kit Porter <laughs> DJing, where you have uh, someone like Bet Porter able to like have a, a good time, you know, like a type A business right, person, right. but also like a Shane, <laughs> like that all these people, you know, it's kind of, yeah, um, that there's only like a certain kind of space where most people would feel comfortable and that like a little bit slowed down R&B kind right. of like... Groove sound sounds just like that. I don't know. Well, you know, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that of like it being welcoming to lots of different kinds of people, and I think that that's always been something that is so important to me because I think that a lot of nightlife caters to not necessarily a specific person just because of musical taste, but of their like abilities and their interests. And to me, that's yeah. the limitations of of a lot of of nightlife is you know um, there. You know, we don't think about or folks don't, aren't usually thinking about when they're planning an event or a party about people who have kids. They still maybe want to go out, but there are just certain things you have to think through when when you have to be responsible for a child. You know, um, f- folks who are older who are like, they still want to get down. We have some like the lesbians of the of the, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, like they went hard. And I know a lot of those women and they still like to turn up. And again, they're not going to go yeah. into, you know, this to a, a party that starts at 10, 11 o'clock at night. So slow-mo intentionally is always started at nine and, you know, it's a small space. And so the, the line sometimes would start by nine fifteen, And that's the thing is like, there is no list. Like I, my, I've had girlfriends wait in line. Like you are not like the whistler. <laughs> it's not our rule. It's just the, 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 the whistler's <laughs> rule. And I think that that really created, you know, the line was a party in of itself, yeah. you know? And, um, something that I love so much about that party. And it, you said, you know, um, Melody, when you were talking about like 
feeling like it, you worked up the courage, but that like the the welcoming aspect of it is that that is the most important thing to me yeah. about uh, is creating a welcoming environment. And that's constantly evolving because you're never going to be able to create a welcoming space for all as you can try and be aspirational about it. I think that, that um, you know, we're constantly learning how to adapt our environments to be m- more and more inclusive and our needs do change. But I think that that feeling of belonging is so important and the most valuable and touching feedback that I get over time with the years is when people are like, I moved to Chicago and I didn't really find a place to fit in. I came here and this is where I found my my place and my family. And that is what I've heard a lot. People who have moved and come back or move and, and they miss it and people who make their friends. And I mean, I've seen it all. I've seen the makeups, the breakups, the makeouts. I've seen the messiness. <laughs> I, you know, party mom, it's all knowing, all seeing. But it's, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things I've heard people be like, who, when they break up, who gets to slow on? I'm like, that's ridiculous. You know, you've got to figure it out. <laughs> uh, and that's the thing about queer communities. Like, we, these are sacred spaces. These are our sanctuaries. And you do have to work it out. And you work it out on the dance floor. And I think there's something about this nostalgic music, a lot of music we're playing from the 70s, 80s, 90s. You know, it's taking you back to a time that is reminds you it feels good you have positive associations with it and it's just amazing to feel that that energy you know on a dance floor and there would be time and time again that like some shit fuck thing happened in the world and I'd be like I gotta make a big speech about this and have hold a moment when we when we you know get in the space and I was like actually that is the opposite of what we need what this feels like is that some small slice of normalcy that feels really mm-hmm. special and we create the environment and the vibe that we want and we protect each other. And that I think has been a constant with that party that has really meant a lot to me and a lot of people over the years. So many people. I Yeah, I'm glad you broke down the role that the music itself has in it um, because I've been trying to wrap my head around it for years, like why it felt so good to be there. Mm-hmm. And I really think like the music kind of um, disarms a lot of people yeah. too. Like you're, you can't help but be really taken back to a happy place. Yeah. It's a lot of nostalgia. And um, it's also a lot of POCs. That was another huge thing too. Yeah. Um, and that's what I meant by like, I wouldn't feel intimidated in that way. It was like the one place I could count on meeting other queer people of color yeah. and just feeling kind of at home in that way. And I guess maybe part of it is the music, but I don't know. It was just a magic I've been trying to figure out <laughs> over the last few years. I have brought up this party on this podcast a few times. Oh, so glad you. we got to talk so, to you. so much to it. me. And thank you for for sharing that because in terms of like that gravitation, right? How do people gravitate to this place to have this, you know, sort of beautiful confluence of, of different people to have this, this shared experience, which of course is like, you know, queerness. But I think something that I've tried to be consistent about is that it's never been an exclusionary space. To me, it's really more about like vibes and values. Like you can be in that space and be a straight person and be an amazing ally advocate to LGBT people and have an amazing time in your soul. Welcome there. And you can be a shitty gay, you know, like there's no, there, <laughs> there's to me, like there's no black and white with that. And in terms of like that representation and when you were talking about the representation of 
you know, queer and trans folks of color, like, yes, definitely, because I think of the fact that so much R&B and disco and house is played at the party. And, you know, the priority of the DJs of, um, and also our guest DJs, keeping that within community. Um, and the musical, the music is so important to that party. And Tess was, you know, the, the founding DJ, did an amazing job establishing that. Jack Audio Track has been a part of Slomo for five years and a, an exceptional DJ, the most amazing and sometimes weirdest blends you would never think of. And like the energy that the DJs give off are like you can't understate, and I'm sure Melody, like you would agree. So for folks who haven't been to Slomo before, um, you know, it's this tiny little bar that's like a 90 person capacity, which we push all the time, yeah. and a, a magical back patio where everyone hangs out in the summer. And then you have this stage when you walk in, and the stage is there, and the DJs are, are up there. And you'll see, like, over the course of the night, more audience members feel like loose and brave to like come up on the stage. I'm like, you can, you know, no one's not allowed there. It's not like an exclusive thing, but I think getting more comfortable. And there's a mic. And sometimes people get really empowered and they'll like grab the mic. And, you know, we have to sometimes be like, okay, but usually it's fine. And Tristan, who is like my sister, <laughs> longtime um, friend, chosen family, um, who has uh, been a staple in the community. She calls herself the, the god, the gay godmother. She would like get on the mic and hype everyone up. And it's just, you know, it feels like a family reunion. What kind of changes in the community have you noticed over the years? I think in our world in general and in our community, and I think that this is is really a great evolution, is people are are definitely more um, justice-minded and social justice-minded and working towards, you know, equity. And I think that's a really um, brave and bumpy road. And that can come with challenges. And I think within our own queer community, you know, we're so we're, we're critical of each other because we need each other and because we want to be our best and to care for each other, especially as people who have, have constantly had to, to, to fight for our, our rights and our humanity. Um, but I did, you know, when we first, the early days of slow-mo in particular felt, you know, almost like, like, um, what's the word? Just not naive, but like simpler, you know? Um, but what I will say is, is that there has always been that consistency of like coming back to this space and it feeling like, you know, that vibe being really important and in a truly welcoming environment. And we've had so few conflicts in that space, whether that's verbal or physical altercations or drama. I mean, really very, very few over nine years. So that consistency has been good. And I think even though it is really small and people really wonder why we would keep in that space. We did move it for a short period of time. We like, that's the blackout era that we don't mention usually because <laughs> it was not good, <laughs> but we moved it back. Like slippery slope. Or yes. Slippery slope. <laughs> and then people want to go back. So we moved it, we moved it back to the Whistler. And I think there's just something about walking into that space and that, especially when the world can feel like it's, it's, so upside down or, or such a, a, a frustrating place to be sometimes, especially if you're experiencing multiple marginalized experiences, that you can go in there and there's going to be some semblance of, of familiarity to you when you walk in that room and you walk in and you're just sort of like hit by it. And, um, and that's really special. I developed a party 
two, what is it, two, two years ago, two and a half years ago, called Old Gold, Grown Music for Grown People. And that was a return back to sort of the original vibes and intentions of Slomo with all vinyl. And that was at the Ace Hotel on their rooftop. Oh, nice. And we did that on Sundays uh, once a month. Starting at two o'clock, so starting in the afternoon. And that was really important because I wanted to have an opportunity for people who, for whatever reason, can't go out during the week, which so many queer parties are during the week. Um, And, you know, we had a lot of people who are like married or have kids or, you know, are in their 40s, even 50s, 60s come through because, like, is that music, that vibey music of, um, from the 70s um, through the 90s for the most part, and at daytime, and it just was a lot more accessible in that way. And still free, um, and I missed that a lot. That was really, that part is really, I think, was very, very special, and it, it allowed us to go back to those roots of like an intergenerational focus, which is sorely missing from so much queer culture, in my opinion. Yeah. Also, sober events, yeah. I feel like, are a big gap in queer culture. And I feel like, I think there was one at Reunion. Yeah. I might remember. Yeah. 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 Queer uh, social you seem sober. to really sober social, have your yeah. finger on the pulse of what the queer community needs. Well, thank <laughs> um, you. I, you know, try to pay, pay attention in terms of the sober events. That was queer sober social. Um, and they did have some events there. And they're working on a, um, a sober uh, conference that I know is coming out next year. Elijah, my co-director at Reunion, is sober and a brilliant ambassador for sober living and being fabulous. And I think a lot of people are going inward and trying to really care for their health more. And that's been something that is a bit of a challenge, I think, throughout history of queer community of, you know, prioritizing our health and our care and that mm-hmm. our queer spaces so often were and bars and nightlife once that's filled with like you know drugs and alcohol and I don't want to shame anyone who who uses either of those either it's more about how can you make that environment more more um sober friendly and so mm-hmm. um you know we always had a featured mocktail at Old Gold and also just by nature it being during the day and sunlight and I think that just shifted the energy and so a lot of sober people had given me that feedback that that party felt really comfortable for them and that they felt thought of and so I think that you know just like anything or any experience that doesn't have a lot of representation you need to have your own sacred autonomous time so you know time with just sober folks but I think also finding ways to actually consider the experience of sober people in bar nightlife and entertainment environments is really important. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This pandemic, I know, at at least for me, but I think for a lot of people, kind of having our spaces be closed that we inhibit and having our communities, like not being around our communities physically as much anymore has made me realize how much I need them and how much I appreciate them and how much I didn't take advantage of, of them existing. Mm, That Uh, part. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, when this episode comes out, we would have just put on our virtual fundraiser for the lesbian bar project to help save the 15 remaining lesbian bars in the country. It's just going to bring it up. I'm like, why aren't my wife and I, you know, going to Ginger's on the weekends more? You know, why aren't we going to to these queer meetups? And there are some things definitely that I do. And um, part of being a host of this podcast, it makes me go to like as many queer events as I can. But but there's like a difference between going to like a queer film screening or uh, like these one off things and actually returning to a place over and over and that's where you form community and uh, I'm hoping that when this is all over and we're back to non-pandemic times that there'll be an even bigger uh, need for these spaces, bigger appreciation and more uh, more people getting involved. At, At the same time, the pandemic has forced a lot of stuff online and there's so many people who don't live in areas where they have access to these kind of spaces. Um, So it's been great, I guess, in that way to make queer community more accessible. I'm so glad that you brought that up, Carolyn, because that is, I've been thinking about the, the skills and the the knowledge and the tools that we've gained from living in this unprecedented pandemic lifestyle and experience. And, you know, people talk a lot about like going back and there, you know, there's not really a going back, like our world has changed. And I think in some ways we have, and of course this is like me speaking optimistically, um, but there are some really great things that we have gained. And so you just pointed out people being able to access you know, uh, community via virtual events or streaming or social media. And that's really, really crucial. And I hope that we take some of those tools with us so that, you know, thinking through an event so that there is a component or there is an aspect that you can engage with and not have to physically be present and how much that opens the door to people who have, you know, disabilities, people who, you know, maybe can't get there 
physically beyond disability, but because of like transportation or safety reasons or money or um, because they have kids or for whatever reason things come up. And so I'm hopeful that that continues. I also think that it's super crucial that we have time for like in-person connection because something that I realized and I did, it, it happened and then I really felt it when I realized that um, the flow and the spontaneity and surprise of, and, the, and sometimes the softening that an, a, a group communal experience is. And so I, this, something happened where my friend Elizabeth Cronin, who is a super, super badass florist, celeb florist dyke. She owns a shop in uh, Chicago called Azure Garden. And she actually just launched um, a show on HBO Max. It's called Full Bloom. So the queers that love their plants oh, nice. and flowers need to watch. She's the, she's the judge on the, one of Ooh. the judges on the show. Um, she's brilliant. I'm checking it and, out. And uh, so we, she yeah. had a, like a, um, a, just for the staff and then um, my partner and I attended her um, screening of like the first episodes and, you know, of course, socially distanced with masks. But the experience of us all laughing together was like revelatory to me. It's like, this is really so much of what I miss. It was that cadence and that vibe and that feel and that multi-sensory experience that you're all having together. And that is what is so important and has been this really important balm and glue for communities. And I think it's very challenging without that because you don't get the environment to influence how you're feeling and maybe shift it. Maybe there's conflict and then that environment helps soften it. Maybe it does the opposite. But I think that that's something that I really miss or the conversations that, you know, that you aren't able to have because you just, you know, ran into someone or you met someone for the first time and you're learning something new or you're building a bridge or a connection. I I was an uh, election judge. So I worked at the polls a few weeks ago for election day and you know, just like any environment, I'm like, okay, who let's let's source out the queers, who's here? And so <laughs> of course I figured it out by the end of the day and I'm having these conversations with these two women and turns out, you know, lesbian community, a neighbor lives down the street, lesbian, has a kid, um, with her wife. And, you know, in that moment I was like, this is it. This is exactly it. This is why we go out and we connect and we see people because you have that spontaneous moment where you're able to bridge a connection. And we were talking about queer parenting. And I think about something like that, which I know, you you know, you have had um, conversations about that on the show, like Mo was on, you know, originally from Chicago. And, um, (laughs) you know, like, that is a really good example of an experience that a lot of queer people are going through in such an isolated way. And it's, there's such little representation and there's such little resources on queer pregnancy and parenting and family making. And oh, yeah. we had this conversation, you know, at the, at the polls, cause the polls was my club that day. And that's the closest yeah. <laughs> that I've gotten to being around that many people in eight months. And so that's something that I, I think about a lot is like, yes, I'm so thrilled for these digital solutions, but I really look forward to the time when we're able to have, you know, more flow in our conversations and connections that really right. only in-person can provide. Quick question about working the polls. Um, how many Trump votes did you switch over to Biden? <laughs> so, did you fulfill your quota? So it's really interesting. It's actually a funny story. Um, I signed up to be a poll worker. And it's really what wild because you're like, 
this is such a sham, but also like, this is so crucial. It's like, I kept having that dual experience the whole time where I was like, this is amazing and so essential. And then like, this is such, this is just, democracy is a scam. Because, you know, you just get thrown into it. Everyone in our, our, our ward, our three precincts that were in this polling place together, <laughs> were like, um, all new. No one had ever, like, you, you have to set up all the equipment. I mean, you're handling, handling ballots. It's wild. And, um, w- we're about to get started. And of course, for me, I was like, I'm going to do a huddle. We're all going to talk about pronouns. We're all going to talk about like not dead naming people at the polls. You know, I, I had a whole thing and like made sure that I did my due diligence as the queer delegate to talk about, you know, talk about, um, you know, queer and trans competency at the polls. But um, man, I never even thought about yeah. that with dead naming for trans people at the polls that that must happen a lot yeah and there's so it's there's ways to avoid it you know it's like you don't have to like announce like you don't have to like announce someone's name to the room i mean there wasn't ever a time i had to do that you can put it on you know you you can you're asking for addresses you can say you know last name first or, or you or 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 language corrections like what name are you registered under or asking for their last right. name first to at least start there. Um, you know, we, I had, had everybody put their pronouns on their name tag so that that was a signal to people that that is something people were aware of. So, you know, yeah, I think that that's, that's a, been a made, that was a major source of stress for a lot of trans and non-binary people, the polls. So again, like, okay, I don't have, I don't have these like bars and clubs and party spaces anymore. So it had to be the poll where I was trying to, create some inclusion but it was yeah. wild because i go to put the name tag on and they're labeled democrat election judge and republican election judge and i'm like hold up what so you know for it i suppose for it to feel balanced in this space you have representatives from republican and democratic sides so i'm like wait a second. And I'm, of course, I can't help it. I'm like clocking everyone in the room because almost everyone seemed to be under the age of 40. And I'm like, what is this? So the girl that I was going to be sitting next to for 16 hours that day, she's putting on the Republican sticker and she's like, I really don't want to wear this Republican sticker. And I'm thinking like, oh, she doesn't want to be shamed or outed for being a Republican or whatever. And I'm like really trying to not judge her. But I'm also like, what the hell? I find out she lives a block from me. She's super cute. She's got this cute little outfit on. So I'm like, okay, we'll talk about dogs and weather. We'll try and keep it easy. But we get into yeah, it. Because there are no cute Republicans. It's just... <laughs> like, and I was like, okay, maybe impossible. this will be good. Like, this will be an opportunity to, like, for me as this, like, per- person in a queer bubble of, like, such radical progressive politics to, 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 to see. I don't know. I was, like, trying to, trying to try- feel like I was being humbled in this moment as a public servant. So we're talking... And somehow we get on it where basically she's like worked for Salesforce and she was like, I had to do something nonpartisan if I was going to do volunteer work for, for voting. And that's how I ended up with this Republican sticker, the, the, like representation. I'm like, what do you mean? And I'd forgotten that when you signed up, you selected that you either wanted to vote, you wanted to represent on your party line or you could, you'd represent nonpartisan, which means you get placed. So it's Chicago and it's Logan Square. So that means that (laughs) any of those Republican quote unquote delegates could have been, you know, selected nonpartisan and then been placed in that role. So I'm like scanning the room and I'm like this girl over here reading her (laughs) Samantha Irby book, who's really cute with her denim on denim. There's no way that that girl is, is, you know, a Republican. So I end up talking to her and she's like, Oh my God, I didn't know. Like, 
I thought maybe I was drunk when I originally like became a voting age. Maybe somewhere I was registered that way. So, and they're just getting like the stink eye all day from. I'm like scanning the room, and I, I felt bad too. But then I was like, Boy, "Fuck those people!" You know, I'm going back and forth in my mind. So the girl that I'm sitting next to, we end up like knowing each other's full life stories. She's like the literal opposite of a conservative. We're talking about trans chest feeding and like, like, um, like gatekeeping in the healthcare industry and inequities and discrimination against LGBT families within like 15 minutes. So, you know. She wasn't a Republican, after all. Yeah, with a Sam Irby book, I mean, that, <laughs> what, that alone. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it was fun, though. It was good to, like, it was funny that, you know, I mean, at the same time, I'm like, what does that say, though, when you're like, what does that even mean when you have these these imposter representatives of the Republican Party? I don't know if I should have shared that publicly, but that's that's what went down in our book. <laughs> Well, Giuliani's going to file a lawsuit about it now. <laughs> He's going to listen to this episode. Or no, his his daughter's queer, right? Oh, so I, I think she's Ooh. she's going to oh, listen. She? Oh, wow. Yeah. That she listens no to Diking idea. Out. And uh, <laughs> she's going to tell her dad. No. Uh, that's great. That makes poll working sound really fun. Uh, I wanted to be a poll worker, but I thought I had COVID again. And oh. by the time the test came back, uh, I... It was too late to do the training. You mentioned before talking a little bit about how you've seen like so much drama over the years within the communities yeah. uh, and just by nature. I mean, we're, we're dating within our communities. We're breaking up within our yeah. communities. Yeah. Yeah. There's also uh, a lot of changing. A lot of people demand more from each other, which mm. is good, but can also cause a lot of fighting and that's the kind of stuff that can tear communities apart. Like how have you seen conflict play out, I guess, in, in queer spaces mm-hmm. over the years? <sighs> so it's such a deep and tender topic. Yeah. I think we're, we're hard on each other because we need each other. Yeah. And I think that there's various opinions about what, what is a call out and what is a call yeah. in? What is, you know, uh, accountability. And it's, again, it's a brave and bumpy road. And I'm really excited for Adrian Marie Brown's book to come out. Um, we won't can I think it's called, we won't cancel us. And it's coming out in a few weeks and it's going to be our reunion, reunion yes. book club, Michael Akeem Riley's book club called read. So if you're, if you're tuning in and you want to join us for that, we're at reunion shy on Instagram and we'll, we'll have some info coming out about that in a few weeks and we'll be reading that I'm book. I'm so Very excited. Yeah, we'll drop the link that. in our episode join, notes too for reading. Yeah, join. That's a that's a cool thing, y'all. That's free. You can be a part of We have a 30% off discount from her uh, publisher for folks to grab the book. So um, unexpected plug, but that's, that's going to be nice. cool. That's coming up. But anyway, I'm really excited about that book. I just fucking love her. She is so brilliant. And I think that we are constantly learning and growing and it's taken a lot of time, but we're finding new ways of being able to have these conversations. And I know I've used the word brave several times. It's this idea of being brave in community and is sometimes referred to as like, for example, that we can't have safe spaces, but to try and make brave spaces. You know, we have an amazing organization in Chicago called Brave Space Alliance, amazing work to support trans folks on the South side. But 
uh, Laja talks a lot um, about Brave Spaces, and we have Brave Space agreements at Reunion. And that is uh, when folks agree to, whether it's a virtual event or an in-person event and coming into our space, we have them posted, we share them in our event details of things that we ask people to agree to. And one of those things is that no one is disposable. And um, that's really hard because when harm is caused, that is an instinct is to reject the harm. And people have varying opinions and experiences with harm. And right now it's it's again brave and bumpy road, but to centering the voices and experiences and the harm and hurt and the cumulative harm and hurt that um, queer and trans people of color and specifically queer and trans black people have experienced. And it's going to take a really long time to unpack that and to shift power and to shift um, and to shift, you know, the the you know the representation. So equity to me is aspirational. Inclusion is always something I focused on and that equity is, is of course what we work toward. And I think that people are, are coming from a place of hurt and that's when these clashes happen. And it's so hard to be in present in that moment and be able to recognize their two truths can exist. You can have your experience and I can have my experience and neither is right or wrong, but those truths can exist. How can we understand them better? And I don't want to simplify that because sometimes trying to say, oh, well, we both have an opinion or experience about this can take away from and deflect from the harm that's caused, especially I think that white people, like we can do that a lot. Like, oh, here, this is my pain with this. And it can deflect and detract from the, the harm that was caused. So, you know, to answer your question, I think that we are evolving on that and it's always going to be a challenge because what's beautiful and really challenging about the queer community and has always been this way historically is that we are an ever evolving community. We're a community that like literally is, has an alphabet that represents us. And so the work is never done. And something that I like to think about privilege is privilege is this word that gets thrown around a lot that feels like, ooh, ew, I have privilege, like so much shame and guilt coming from that, which is just kind of unproductive uh, response to be, be honest. Is more thinking of privilege with its association with honor. Like it's an honor to be able to work through and unpack my shit and become better for myself, for my, my loved ones, for my community. And I'm hoping that we can start to, and I'm seeing that shift in that way of like, yes, this should be pleasurable. I mean, it's going to be uncomfortable, but there can be an element of pleasure of wanting to be better and better for each other. And, and that's why I really love Adrienne Marie Brown. If, if you're not familiar with her, follow her on Instagram or her books. Like, she really speaks a lot to that of like, we've got to have pleasure and joy and joy is radical. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, um, it's a journey. And I think it really does require, it requires bravery and boundaries. And that's something that we really struggle with in the queer community. Like boundaries are violated constantly. Um, cause, and people have different boundaries, so it's really hard to know. So that's why I think something like the brave space agreements that I mentioned are so important, those types of tools, because it becomes very clear. We are all consenting to this, um, outline and these agreements, knowing that these could shift at any time, but in this moment, in this place, we're for this moment in time, going to try and focus on that for the specific event or task at hand. That's such an amazing answer. I know. Uh, I love like everything you just said is learned. 
It's so, so good. One reason why I asked that question was there was something that I was totally on the outside of that I witnessed happen uh, during this pandemic. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it was what happened with uh, Jolene's in San Francisco. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't follow like, you know, I wasn't like in there with the popcorn watching all the comments, but I, I am familiar with, with the um, clash and the conflict between the community and the bar. Right. And it seems like Jolene's is now closed, at least for the foreseen future. And I, I don't have any connection to Jolene's other than I went there and I thought it was an awesome space and I had a, a great experience and it was a listener who recommended to me. It was like, you got to check this place out. And I went there, you know, they have the neon sign that's like, you are safe here right when you enter. It seemed um, big. It seemed accessible. It seemed diverse. So then all of a sudden I see all this stuff happening online and I'm reading these messages of, you know, what people were uh, accusing the bar of. And then I was like, well, I want to wait and also see what Jolene's has to say about this, because obviously people have different sides of the story and different perspectives. And Jolene's, the way that they responded, you know, they took some time, they really gathered themselves and looked at all the accusations that that were leveled and from from what I could see as a casual observer and I'm sure there are people that are a lot more connected they responded to to all the things and seemed like they were really trying to do better and that this person you know the intentions um, weren't bad and they took ownership at least I thought I did. And then people are like, she's deflecting. She's not taking ownership. Boycott Jolene's, close Jolene's. And I'm like, that's the only lesbian bar in San Francisco. And you're you're trying to shut it down over these grievances when like she wants to, to keep it open and do better. And like so many people w- would benefit that. Isn't there a better way to do this than this like... Than the way that it played out. It was just really sad to witness something like that and not being able to see. And and maybe maybe I'm totally wrong and uh, Jolene's like a horrible person. I don't think so. And based on people, I even Mm -hmm. asked some people who know her, I'm like, is that like what's, you know... It's hard. It's hard to to lead, have a space like that. And um, the pressure and the responsibility and to represent all people. And I think that's where things also get very hard in queer community is we just need, we need representation so badly. It's the same thing where it's like we get that one movie and we want to all see ourselves in it. And we're like, how many people can actually relate to this like two white lady period piece. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why? Also, why is that always our our, our movie storyline? But (laughs) it is like, you know, we're always, we want to see ourselves. And so I think that those criticisms come from a place of hurt and wanting to see yourself represented. And I I hold so much space for that. Um, And I also think that there is, I want to back up and say that I don't have enough knowledge of to speak on the specific situation with Jolene. Yeah, and and me neither. When I'm speaking (laughs) of this. Right, but no, but I'm glad you've brought it up. And so I just want to, I want to just distinguish that, like, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about this idea of, like, conflict resolution in general community. Yeah, which is that, you know, for me coalition building is really important. So what happens is, is when it becomes this one person and, and, and this whole, you know, 
huge, what can feel like almost like a digital mob, right, of people that that can get really hard. And then we've got sides going and, you know, it's, it's very difficult. So to me, coalition building is really important in that. And that's what's really missing from so many of our industries, even if we zoom out at, a, at large, which is why we feel we don't have representation because there isn't enough of it. And so when that then that then just translated to our spaces where we're like, we created these spaces because we don't see ourselves in this other stuff that's not serving us. They don't care about us. So we have to care for ourselves. And so there is just such a heightened expectation. And I think that's something that a lot of folks who have not been in a leadership position and a forward-facing leader position, you know, facing leadership position, understand the enormous pressure that that can be. And, um, it's a huge responsibility. And a lot of times when people are, I don't know about a bar per se, but starting queer party, they might be like, I just love the music or I, I you know, I want to do, and no one, you know, you know, very few people are like getting a full education in like party promoting or this space making, they're doing it because they want it and they need it. And then these things come up that you're not maybe totally equipped, whether it's because of your training or just your lived experiences to address. And that's why representation from your community is so important. So getting feedback um, in times when there isn't conflict, um, opening up the doors for that feedback, because when it's only happening with conflict, you know, then that pressure's on and people are on the defense. But if you have other ways of inviting public into your public and your community into your decision-making, which is hard, and I'm not saying that that is an easy thing to do, but how do we create more like group agreement, consent, collaboration, um, transparency? Because if you're continuing to model that with a community, then hopefully when it comes to the conflict, some tools have been built. But as I'm saying that, I want to just acknowledge how much responsibility, again, that that's putting on space facilitators Mm -hmm. and the ways that we hold such enormous expectations that we don't even think to grind, you know, corporations or these other structures on and we're going after like our small community spaces. At the same time, I don't want to ever take away the responsibilities when you fully and consciously choose to step into a role like that. And things that happen with culture are going to shift that. And, you know, there's a reason and a season. Sometimes, you know, I believe that people shouldn't be in positions forever and ever and ever. You know, um, gatekeeping in our community can be really tricky. So it's like, how are you passing the mic? How are you sharing that space? And, I, you know, I've had a lot of lessons around that in space making over, over the years. And so a big part of my work and platform is resource sharing and, um, and mentoring and as much as possible trying to connect people, especially to jobs like, you know, helping and supporting artists with just like connected to people in the music industry or entertainment. You know, the way I I have since I started my company, No Small Plans, always book majority minority, meaning always booking LGBTQ, POC, minority identified artists, vendors, etc. So I think that there's like multiple sort of branches, right? Mm-hmm. So when it comes down to conflict, I guess this gets really tricky because it does come down to ultimately power dynamics. So it's a really, really hard question to answer. Um, and I think it's very difficult in these times when we don't have community spaces for that spontaneity and softness and nuance right. when we're only nuance, in yeah. a digital environment. Yes. It, you know, we're not seeing each other. And we don't know what people's experiences are at home. People who are isolated at home, maybe you don't have connection. It's just a, 
I think it's just really important we hold space for each other for the messiness right now. And that's hard to do when you're already on empty yourself. Right. Being brave and taking time, if you are a person that's in a position of conflict, can be so easy to just see all those comments going and that that's what you respond to is to really take time, maybe some trusted advisees, but making sure that's a diverse group of people and, and thought and identity before responding. And that's something that is very difficult in these times is that we want, we want it right away. We want the answer. Right. We want the change. And what's really hard to accept is that when we want to see like really tectonic plate shifts in our culture, and our government and industries, like that shit just can't happen overnight. But the people who put the pressure on to say this has to change are so important. And we saw that, especially in June, like we need to have people of, of of all like skill sets and experiences to really make these shifts happen. And you don't necessarily always have to be that person, right? So for example, for me, like it's always about like, been about like nostalgia and celebration and community connection. You know, I'm not trying to like shirk responsibilities, but like I'm just not going to be the person I'm not skilled for and I'm not the right person to fulfill a different role in like the movement. So I think understanding that we have all different roles in that, but that we can't get too... Um, be too like get too comfortable. I think we need to have a little bit of of discomfort to to keep us keep us moving forward. But I, I do, I, and I know I've like been going on for a little while because I think it's really difficult. And to 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 speak to your thoughts around like what happens when we maybe have a in this case was a re, you know for some people a rejection of a person or 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 a space. Um, it's I don't have the answers in that particular case, but what I will say is that like, if you are in a position of conflict to make sure that you are hearing from different perspectives, you remain open to that. But at the end of the day, you do have to honor yourselves. Like we don't want people out here fronting, like being people that they aren't, you know, because sometimes that can have really dangerous implications as well. Accountability is definitely, I think, a theme of, of the last few years. And when you see the rise in sort of tensions and conflict that we've had in the last four years and how it's disenfranchised and hurt people, you've already, you've also seen the rise in the ways that people are responding to conflict. So I think, you know, a path toward healing is going to take a while and people are going to have their own experiences and be on a continuum, which is why having your own community that you feel cared for and that really knows you and can hold you is super, super, super important. Can I ask you your sign? <laughs> cancer! Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a cancer. I'm a Capricorn Hello. rising Virgo moon. I'm a Capricorn and so, Virgo moon. Oh, wow! And then What's your... Um, rising. What about you, Carolyn? I'm a, a Capricorn and then... Somebody once, a past guest told me what my, my moons and rising, whatever. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't remember. So lots of Capricorn yeah. energy. Yeah, that's, mine's like, you know, that's why it's like, you know, um, empathy, but make it productive. Right, that's why like, I asked, my... <laughs> uh, because it takes a certain type of person to be a kind of community organizer and leader. And you'd mentioned that you're not like you love to party, but with purpose and you're very organized about it. And you seem a little yeah. more like kind of type A in your approach to partying, which I love. Um, so I was just like, what, what kind of person does this take? I was like, what's her Enneagram? What's her, 
the Myers Briggs? What's her sign? ENFJ. <laughs> I know. I love all of the tests and all the the profile things. Yeah, I am. I think, you know, benevolence is really important in this role. And I think like if it hasn't been like, you know, stayed enough or clear enough, like I, as a, you know, a white cis lesbian in a community and like the being open and receptive to feedback is very, very important. And what I've found is by approaching, like I was saying before about thinking as, as and I'm not like perfect at this, but trying to, to, to be in a habit of thinking as of, of privilege as an honor and being open, receptive and receptive, like something that I, I say a lot is like to drop the defensiveness. It's amazing the conversations that you can have and what can be accomplished when you're able to drop some of that defensiveness. To wrap up, we do get a lot of listener questions, really lots of different iterations of the same question. How do I find community? And we do our best to answer. I wanted to see if you specifically had any advice for those who are struggling to find community, maybe if they don't live in a city or if they're not maybe old enough or if they're living in a pandemic. Yeah, finding community in the pandemic, so hard. Like if I were to be telling folks how to find community, not in a pandemic, I would have all kinds of suggestions. Um, This makes it so much harder and we become more isolated, which is so difficult because these spaces are been our sanctuaries and our community centers of being able to come together. Um, You know, I think, oh God, I mean, this seems like such an obvious answer, but finding what speaks to you and, and heartily and intentionally engaging with it, right? So like whether that is an Instagram account or a virtual event or, you know, if you find that, then like getting invested in it. And it, it doesn't ever hurt also to like D, DM and say like, hey, this, I found this and it means a lot to me. Or, hey, do you know about X, Y, Z? That's usually where those conversations would be happening at the club, right? Like like I was saying with a polling place, it was like we were talking about, you know, methods of queer pregnancy, right? Like, where are you going to have that conversation? So in the meantime, since we don't have our community spaces to do that, I think that is happening in these, you know, Facebook groups and, and on Instagram and in the DMs and, you know, developing those digital relationships, which I'm saying all that. And that's, and at the same time, that's very difficult for me. I'm like, Erica Badu <laughs> said, like an analog girl in a digital world, like the Every time I think right. of a new virtual event concept to speak to what you're mentioning, which is the like loneliness and isolation that's coming for people, especially queer people in these times. But I experience a lot of like depression dip and loneliness once I do these virtual events and they're done. So I, I've had to take a break for a little while, to be honest. So building that community, I think, is also about finding maybe some intimate relationships to nurture and really give to when we can't have as much of a social expansion. That's been a little bit of a blessing for me when I felt that I, I quite frankly, have to share myself a lot in, in, in the roles that I serve, that I'm honored to serve in. But still, it takes a lot of my energy away from my family. And so I've been able to, in the pandemic times, really cultivate and invest really deeply in my, my partner. Our relationship has grown so much in these times, got engaged, like talking about, you know, creating our family, like that's been really amazing. And I've been able to really give and support some chosen family right now in these times that really need that and need that family. And so maybe the answer isn't always like, how do I find this thing to do? Although that is, that is a part of it. Like we want to be entertained, we want connection. But like, how can we also go in and how can we maybe invest 
new relationships that may come from this or from ones that existed that need care. And that's, that's what I'm doing. And that took me a really long time to get comfortable with being like, stop producing yeah. shit. And I've slowed down a lot and it has really allowed me to really think about how I want to evolve. So that's maybe the opposite answer is like seeking community and then like, how do you have fellowship within yourself? You know, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. It's so great. There's so much useful information and stuff to think about in it. And I'm sure our listeners are going to love it. Where can they follow you online and learn more about your events, virtual and eventually in person? So I'm big. I love Instagram and I really do try to answer every DM. So um, my Instagram is just my name, Kristen Kaza. And then um, Slow Mo Party is S-L-O-M-O Party. We are not very active currently, you know, in this, in these pandemic times. So the way to like, if you want a response to reach out is probably, um, from me through, through like Instagram and, um, also reunion shy. That's where there's a lot more activity happening and that's reunion shy on Instagram. And I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we have reads hosted by Michael Akeem Riley. That is our, our, um, queer book club. And we will be reading Adrian Marie Brown's new book. So we will be announcing that soon. So following us on and, um, our Instagram reunion shy is a great way to learn about things going on. We also have a few more programs coming up like CCTV, the Chicago Club TV by Arl Zatina and Duchess Gemini. That's going to stream soon. So you can have a little, you know, living room turn up. Um, and yeah, <laughs> Instagram is probably the, the best way to stay in touch and, and follow things. I'm terrible at updating the website. So just don't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Cool. Thank you again. Thank you, guys. I know it went a little bit longer, but we got into the deep conversation. Yeah, we did. So. Yeah. Melody, since you've joined the podcast, I feel like the percentage of guests we have from Chicago has gone up 400%. <laughs> I know. When she said that, she's like, I love how many Chicago guests you've had. <laughs> looked at your face to see if you were going to make some little snarky comment. (laughs) Okay. I mean, to be clear, I do really enjoy Chicago and I'm so glad that we're having all these Chicago people. You know, there are only so many million people in New York. (laughs) It's good to tap into uh, another city. Uh, No, and especially now that we're doing these remote things and it was so great to hear about Kristen who just speaks so so well on these topics. So I hope that everyone got a lot out of that. What a leader. Right? I feel like she'd be a great life coach. She really would be. I think I told you this when I was telling you about her. I was like, I just, in my mind, it's calm. I feel like you would see her with a megaphone. And I have around Chicago seen her with a megaphone. Like she's like just really good at gathering, rallying people and of course, partying for a cause. Yes, a pillar of the dyke community. Which is a daikon. Yeah, every city should have a Chris and Kaza, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Well, let's get to our listener question. What do you say? Let's do it. This listener question is from a 27-year-old baby gay. Here we go. How do I deal with the anxiety I have of making women uncomfortable if I approach them? I think this comes from the stereotype that I heard growing up of lesbians as somehow predatory and girls making jokes about how horrified they would be if a lesbian ever approached them. I have such a crush on this girl who works at a place I go to regularly 
And I have a reason to believe she's gay too. She's called me love during our last two interactions. And that alone made my palms full on sweaty. I want to ask her to hang out, even as just friends. But I'm worried that that would be unwelcome, given that we only know each other through her doing her job. Is it weird of me to ask her out? And is it weird that I'm spiraling so hard about all of this? Very normal that you're spiraling. Yeah. Uh, Number two, this is so adorable. (laughs) I know. What an adorable question. You're not a predator to her. Yeah. Like, that's something you can figure out right away. (laughs) Uh, If... She calls you love. In my mind, I'm like, is she like British or Irish? Because like <laughs> my my former hairdresser was Irish and called me love all the time. It's just like how love how they talk. Yeah, it is not weird of you to ask her out. It is definitely not weird that you're freaking out about this. Someone who you have seen or interacted with a few times now who calls you love after interactions would definitely at this point not consider you predatory. Yeah, especially if you're just asking to hang out and you're not saying anything that would make her uncomfortable in any way. You know, I think that it could be as simple as, hey, I hope this isn't weird, but you just seem really cool and I would actually like to get to know you a little bit more yeah. if you want to hang out sometime. That's like all you have to say. There's nothing predatory about that. Like predatory is, you know, going into a, a bar, seeing somebody who looks straight and being like, I'm going to get them drunk and try to get them to go home with me. Like that's predatory or, uh, <laughs> you know, like knowing that it's someone that uh, like that you're just trying to get as like a conquest or something like that to me Mm -hmm. feels more predatory. This is somebody that you legit have a crush on. You feel like maybe there's a little something there. You're not doing anything that's totally inappropriate. Like this is how people meet and Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be weird. You can even just say, Hey, are you on Instagram? Ooh. Yeah have that little courtship of likes yeah and then slide in those dms and that's just how it's done these days yeah you would know more about how it's done these days than me i'm (laughs) so far out of the game but that's a that's a great move melody great advice yeah yeah i am that's not so faithful to my girlfriend i should note (laughs) (laughs) yes yes i mean i like that but like you're you know even though i'm only a few years older it seems to make a big difference uh and that is how I used to do it, actually, years ago. I think, uh, at least from what I hear from my single friends, I think that's a good route. Yeah. No matter the person's, you know, sexuality. Uh, and, you know, can't say it enough, spiraling over a crush is the queerest thing that you could do, especially as a baby gay. I, I can't yeah, even tell you. If you're you. not spiraling, you're not, you don't have a crush yeah. if you're a baby gay, especially. Right, right. I can't tell you how many times I had like the slightest interactions with people and just knowing that they were gay was like enough to send me spiraling. Like you've got the gay intuition. I think you should yeah, ask them if they're on Instagram and try to get to know them a little bit better and then see where it takes you. See if it gets a little flirty, you know, you're capable of picking up on the signals and reading the signs. Mm-hmm. I have faith and in so you. And so is she. Yeah. 
Well, if you have a question you want us to answer on the podcast, we are actually getting to the end of our uh, our pile of listener questions. So you need to fill up the well. Submit a question to dykingout at gmail.com. Uh, you can also support the podcast by signing up for our Patreon community. Speaking of community, our community is really Patreon, and that's where uh, a lot of people who like to dike out are all in one cool place. What a better way, you know, in our Facebook group for... The Facebook group, yeah, especially. For $10 a month, you can be in the Facebook group, and there was a post today. Uh, one of our patrons was asking if anyone was a gamer and was, like, looking for people to game with uh, because she misses gaming with her friends, and that thread just, like exploded right away (laughs) and now they're like connecting and swapping names and it fills me up with so much joy it makes me so happy to see our listeners connecting when the listeners are connecting without us it's what makes me the most happy i love interacting too but i like watching the new connections happen yes Honestly, the Facebook group is my only community right now. Yeah. (laughs) You guys are my only friends (laughs) that I talk to at least. I know we have uh, our November uh, Patreon hang coming up. And I'm just really looking forward to it. Like since the last one, uh, one of the patrons of that tier has gotten engaged. You know, it felt like I'm invested in these lives now. I I love it. So uh, another announcement is that on Patreon, you know, if we get to 400 patrons, because Melody put out this notion that if we got 10,000 followers on Instagram, we would do a TikTok dance. And I was a little uh, afraid of this, but I went along with it. I was like, sure. So now I get Mm -hmm. to pick one. And it's if we get 400 patrons, Melody on TikTok will do the WAP dance. I'll do it. And you don't want to know why I'll do it. You want to know why? Because of some of the critical comments we've gotten from our initial TikTok dance. (laughs) I know. Some examples. (laughs) Wow. Two lesbians with no rhythm. Go figure. (laughs) Um, Wow. Really surprised to see Carolyn's the better dancer. Stuff like that. Um, You have to redeem yourself, and I'm going to bully you until you do. I put another TikTok out there this week trying to, you know, put out some content at Diking Out Pod on TikTok, at Diking Out Everywhere Else, at TGI Carolyn for me personally, and at Melody Kamali for me. Everyone, have a very safe and happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your tofurkey. We love you all. We're thankful for you. Dyke out with us again. See you next Tuesday and have a happiest season. Hi, listeners. This is Amy from the production team at Realm. Remember the royal wedding? Kind of hard to forget with all those hats, right? Well, what if there was a story about everyone else at the wedding? The maids, the bodyguards, the hat makers? All that royal wedding magic doesn't come from nowhere, but these other characters don't get enough time in the spotlight, in our humble opinion. So, we created a different type of royal wedding show, perfect for fans of Love Actually. Think vignettes. 
All of London is abuzz with anticipation of the royal wedding, from the New York paparazzi flown in to catch the money shots to the maids at Buckingham Palace. And every one of them has their own chance at true love. But when the princess bride and her maid of honor go missing, will love prevail? Royally Yours is a fun, flirty, and romantic show that intertwines five love stories that will sweep you off your feet. Be sure to listen and subscribe to Royally Yours wherever you get your podcasts, or learn more at realm.fm.